Let's pray. God, thank you so much for beautiful message and music that we've heard several times tonight. God, I thank you for everyone that's taken of their time to be here. And Father, I pray uh, as we now look into your word that you'll speak to our hearts, God, and give us the, uh, the courage and the, the wisdom, the sensitivity to hear what you have to say to us, God, and to respond. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, that was wonderful. Wasn't that great? Choir, you did a super job uh, also for sure. You know, the word incarnation is a big word, isn't it? Semi-long, but it's a word with a lot of uh, theological meaning. It, It means to embody in the flesh. Now, that makes a lot of sense too, doesn't it? To embody in the flesh... Biblically speaking, when we talk about the incarnation, we're talking about Jesus, God, becoming man. God becoming flesh is what the incarnation of the Bible is about. And in Hebrews chapter 2 tonight, we're going to take about 20 minutes or so to look at a subject that probably takes 20 years to study thoroughly and to understand. But I I want you to see... Several key reasons the Bible tells us that the the incarnation took place. Why Jesus Christ, God, became man. And these are really neat, interesting, wonderful, and extremely personally relevant. Here's the main thrust. If you walk away with anything tonight, I hope you walk away with this. Jesus became like us for us. Why did the incarnation take place? Why did God become man Fundamentally, Jesus became like us for us. The incarnation was not primarily for God. The incarnation was not, certainly not primarily, so a bunch of preachers could sit around in a library and debate theology for hours on end. The, the, the incarnation has extremely significant practical reasons, and it happened for you and me. God became man for you to make it a little more personal. Now, I want to give you three things that in Hebrews 2, we see why this took place. One, he became man to identify with us perfectly. Now, it's easy to say, well, did God have to do anything because he's God? Couldn't he identify with us? Maybe, maybe this happened so we could understand that he identifies with us personally. In verse 14 through 17... It says, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. You know, it's interesting in verse 14, it says, The children have flesh and blood, and he took on flesh and blood. That's pretty vivid, isn't it? That, That Jesus became man says one thing, that to say that Jesus took on flesh and blood becomes clearly uh, personal for you and me and something we can get our heads around. You go back 2,000 years ago, folks, Jesus' 
family, Jesus' friends, had no problem with him being human. Okay? They touched him. They saw him laugh. They saw him cry. They, they could hear him talk. They could see everything about him that was human. What they struggled with initially was that this is God too. Remember, his own family, his brothers didn't believe that he was who he said he was until what? After the resurrection. 2,000 years later, we don't struggle, most of us, that he was God. We struggle that he was fully human. Am, Am I right on that? I mean, you have a harder time getting your hands around the fact that if Jesus uh, hit his thumb with a hammer, that it hurt him more than you do that he could walk on water. you agree with that? Now, interestingly enough, about 50, 60 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, there began a heresy called Gnosticism, which began to creep into Christianity. And some of the New Testament books address it. Basically, Gnosticism said flesh is evil. That the, the, the human, the blood, the, the humanity part of us is evil. So there's no way Jesus could have been human. He was, what you saw was basically a spirit which this is passage is clearly blowing away. Jesus became man. He became man. And it's interesting, too. He says that he, he did this for Abraham's descendants. Now, Abraham's descendants right off the bat would be who? It would be Jewish people, wouldn't it? So these Jewish people who are hearing this, Jewish Christians, this was good. But in Colossians 3.29... Uh, because I don't know if we have any Jewish people here tonight. This will be good for you. Colossians, or Galatians, I'm, pro- I'm sorry, 329. If you belong to Christ, read this out loud with me. If okay. Do you know that? You are, you are Abraham's descendant as a Christian. Did you know that? Your name may not be Goldstein. You may not be Jewish. But you are Abraham's descendant in Jesus Christ. He became man for Abraham's descendants. He became man for everyone, in particular Abraham's descendants. And it said that he, he was a merciful high priest. Now, folks, the high priest, and we'll talk about this more in a moment, was a, was a tremendous position of honor to serve in. One of the primary things you did is you would go, the biggest thing you did is you would go once a year, the high priest, into the Holy of Holies. The only person that could go in there was the high priest, and he would make sacrifice and atonement for his sins and the sins of the people. It was a great honor, but the high priest didn't have to be merciful. He didn't have to be kind. He just had to be chosen to be the high priest. Had to be his lucky lot, basically. It says here that we have a merciful and high priest. How many of you want a merciful God? You better. I know some of you. You need it, a merciful God, and so do I. The word merciful in your Bibles means compassionate and benevolent. It means, it means merciful in thought and action. I like that, compassionate and benevolent. In other words, not only does Jesus have a heart that feels for us, it, it results in action. A merciful high priest in all ways. Listen, the Bible says this, God became man to identify with us. To sympathize with us. To empathize with us. Now, have you ever thought about this? See, most of the time, we're not careful, and we need to put God on a tremendous high throne in our minds and hearts. But we need to also understand the incarnation is about God becoming man so he could feel what we felt, heard how we heard, and sympathize and empathize with us. Have you ever thought about this? Jesus Christ... Jesus Christ went to funerals. 
Jesus Christ, his dad probably died by the time he started his public ministry. You never hear anything about Joseph, which probably means that Jesus had experienced as a young man the death of his father. He had lost friends. He had seen illness come. Jesus, no doubt, had been sick and experienced those things in his life. And the Bible says he became man to identify with us perfectly and sympathize with us and to feel for us and with us. Is that not awesome? Would you rather have a God that's far and distant and cold? Or would you rather have one who put on flesh and blood and who went through the same experiences in life that we went through? Back in 1997, there was a, it was kind of a crude song. It, it, I don't even remember the title, What If God Was One of Us. Any of y'all remember that song? And, and you know, kind of, you know, kind of went goofy. But, but the What If God Was One of Us. And every time I would hear that on the radio, I would say, Read your Bible, lady. He became one of us. He became one of us. He became like us. Why did God, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, why did he leave heaven to come to earth? Why did he come and make himself a little lower than the angels and become flesh and blood? One reason was so he could identify with us perfectly. Is that not awesome? Isn't that great? Here's the second thing. He came to die for us. Folks, from the very get-go, when the plan for Jesus to leave heaven and come to earth, death was on the radar. It wasn't something that was added later on or it was thought of. And it's year two of the ministry, you know, God, these folks just aren't getting it. I guess I'm going to have to die. <laughs> he knew we weren't getting it. And he came to die for us. In verse 9, we're going to jump back to verse 9. It says, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels, a human, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. So by, that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Now, let's read that 14 through 17 one more time. Since the children have flesh and blood, he became flesh and blood. So that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held, held slavery by the fear of death. Verse 16, for surely it's not the angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Folks, from the very beginning, God created us special. We, we were the cream of the creation. And pretty quick, in fact, in Genesis 3, if you've been in Genesis 3 lately, you know where the woman blew it. You remember that part, guys? We fell praying there too, if you don't remember that. God made us special. We blew it big time, and Jesus had to come down and redeem us and to, uh, to, to bail us out, basically. Now, verse 9, go back to verse 9. The very last part of it, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Now, guys, this is real important. Don't ever think about the, the, the death of Christ simply as something that was a corporate action. Or that we can say, well, he died for everyone or all people corporately. Yes, yes, he did. But what this passage is really bringing out is that he died for each individual specifically. 
He tasted death for who? For everyone. There is a theological belief, and I won't go into the whole, the whole uh, uh, thing of it now, but that teaches that Jesus did not die for, for everyone. And one of their tenets is called limited atonement, which means that, that Jesus' death wasn't for everybody. Maybe it wasn't for you. It was just for the elect, just for those pulled out of the hopper that he chose. And, and that's the only ones he died for. Folks, this passage here says he died for everyone. 1 John 2, 2. Look what 1 John 2, 2 says. It says, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. The world world there means the sum total of individuals. Now, folks, I I just want to tell you, Christ's death is only good for you if, if you receive Christ. But he died for you. Whether it, it makes a difference in your life depends on how you respond to it. But he died for everyone. It says what it says, and it means what it says there. He died for everyone. How many of you are comfortable with Jesus dying for your family member or friend? How many of you are a little nervous if he didn't die for you? You better be. You know, there's an old song. I don't remember what the song was. But it went like something like this, Wayne. When he was on the cross, you were on his mind. That's literally what this is saying here. That he died for each one of us individually, and he died for each one of us personally. He came to identify with us to die for us. He came in his death to satisfy the justice of God and the love of God. All in one fell swoop there. Historians say that have studied the crucifixion that it was the most horrible of deaths. Even the Roman people uh, would not crucify one of their own citizens. It was for the worst of criminals or slaves. But yet that's exactly what Jesus endured for you. That's why he came to this earth was to die for you, the sinless for the sinful. He came to conquer death. Again, to bring God's justice and his love together. And to provide salvation for you and me to pay a debt that you could never pay by your good deeds or by your, your good behavior. Never could pay it. Every year the high priest would have to go into the holy place. Every year, year after year, and make atonement for the sins of the people and for his own sins. Jesus Christ came. He died on that cross. And he died one time to make the payment for all of our sins. Folks, what a huge theological concept this is. God left heaven and became man, came to earth. And one of the reasons he did that was to die for you and me. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? Here's the third thing this passage says. Not only did he come to identify and to die with us, he became one of us to help us when we're being tempted. Now, what a gear shift in my opinion. I mean, we're just talking about the cross. We're talking about the atonement of God. Jesus being the high priest. Jesus suffering for the sins of mankind. And now we're going to talk about being tempted. That's exactly what this passage does. We saw one of the hugest theological points there is. Now we jump to a hugely practical thing that every one of you in here struggles with. S-I-N. 
sin. Verse 18. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. The word suffer there means to experience evil or pain. It means to, it means to be stressed out, to be strained, to be pulled. The word tempted there in the New Testament is interesting. The same Greek word is used in different places for different things. In one place, it can mean trial, a trial to test you or to prove you. Other places, it can mean to tempt you to sin. I think it means both here with maybe a a little extra touch of the idea of tempting to lead you to do wrong. George Barna is a poster and he works mostly with Christians and Christian organizations. And recently, he put out some information on what people say tempts them, how they're the most tempted. And I thought it was pretty interesting. The highest thing was worry. How many of you are tempted to worry? You know, worry is sin. I, I, some, for some reason, I think it's like gluttony. It's acceptable. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's still sin. Uh, worry was right up there, procrastination, uh, gluttony. Uh, they went into laziness, things like that. And then they got kind of the nitty-gritty. They started talking about uh, sexual sin and pornography and cheating on your spouse or taking money that's not yours. And over and over and over, what Christian people said was they struggle with this. Would you agree with me as you're being tempted, it's a struggle to strain Sure it is. The Bible says Jesus came and he suffered when he was tempted. Now, let me tell you an interesting argument that I had in one of my previous churches. It was, it was, a, good, it was a Christian argument. Let me clarify this. It was on, in a prayer meeting on a Wednesday night. And we were talking about this very passage. And one of my wonderful men, one of my wonderful deacons, uh, he raised his hand and he said, Chris, I don't believe that Jesus could have sinned. He was tempted, but he couldn't have sinned anyway. And it was amazing the number of people in my church at that time sort of agreed with him. Now, I completely disagree. Now, hear me on this. Jesus never sinned. But, friend, it's not a temptation if you can't fall into it. Amen? Okay, I'm gonna be, I'll, I'll pour my heart out to you tonight. One of the, you know, you could tempt me to do wrong with chocolate pie. You could tempt me to do wrong with ice cream. I promise you, unless I'd been 40 days locked in a concentration camp, gluttony will never have, it will not even be a temptation if you put broccoli and spinach in front of me. I will never look at that and go, I'm going to have to practice self-control. I'm just going to pray I'm not eating at one of your houses and feel like I have to eat it. When you put it in front of me. That's the worst thing about being a young pastor. I'd go eat with people and you had to eat. I mean, you better eat what they put on your plate. That's tough. God help me. This is tough. It's suffering for Jesus, isn't it? Folks, it is not a temptation if you're not, if there's not a possibility you're going to do it, correct? Jesus never sinned. There's no question about that. But yes, Jesus could have sinned. It says that he suffered when he was tempted. Now let's go to Hebrews 4.15. Hebrews 4.15, right over on the next page. 
it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we were or are, yet without sin. Do you get that? Yes, Jesus could have sinned. Jesus did not sin. What the Bible says is he understands what it's like. He understands what it's like to have to bite your tongue when you want to say something you shouldn't. He understands what it's like to have to cool your temper before you explode and do something you shouldn't do. He understands what it's like to be a normal man. He understands what it's like to be a normal person. And this wonderful passage says one of the reasons, think about how tremendously practical and unbelievable this is that God put on a human suit so he could help us when we're being tempted. Now, let me just tell you this. You're facing temptation. Some of you tonight, uh, you, you, know, you know what I'm talking about. And you're, you're on the edge. And you know that if you're not careful, you're going off the edge. So you're listening. Here's what others of you are doing. <sighs> my, my spiritual life is such that I am beyond that. All right, let's talk about something deep. Let me tell you, friend. Some of the best, most godly people in the world have wrecked their lives because they've thought just that very thought. And you don't think that you're above doing something with someone who's not your husband or your wife? Or you're not above making a mistake financially because you think maybe no one will ever find out or you deserve it? You think that you're above doing something that could cost you dearly? Please humble yourself tonight and straighten up because every one of us here. And you know what the terrible thing is, is that you and I can wreck our lives, wreck our marriages, wreck our reputation in one bad move. That's the truth, isn't it? It takes years. It takes years to build a good name. You can wreck it in an hour. And the Bible says God knows this. One of the reasons that God became man was not only to identify with us, not only to, to be merciful, not only to die, but to say to you, whatever you're going through, I can help you. I understand. You're not praying to a distant and cold God. You're praying to one who understands your plight. You're, you're praying to someone who can show you the answers. You're praying to someone who can show you the way out. You can, you're praying to someone who can help you endure when you may not feel like you can endure. That's good news, isn't it? That's great news. Yeah, I talked to a, a pastor friend recently, a godly guy, a strong guy, and he wasn't fixing to, to get off into any wrong, bad sin. He was just fixing to quit. He was just fixing to, to, to get, I don't know, he was going to take his own life or whatever. He was just fixing to throw in the towel. That's a temptation from the devil to do something that would have been tremendously costly to him and a lot of other people. But Jesus has come to help us and show us the way. Isn't that awesome? See, we don't serve a distant God. We serve one who became like us to help us. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? I want to share with you a little story about the actor Kevin Bacon. 
Kevin Bacon, uh, Josh, when did the, the recent Footloose movie come out? Was that a year or two ago? Who knows? Josh is not a Hollywood buff. Come on. Emily? No? Has anybody ever heard of the stinking movie Footloose? Well, then help me, brothers and sisters. Okay, one came out in 1984. That's when I went. When was the most recent one, Christine? About two years ago. Okay. Okay. 1984, Kevin Bacon was the first Footloose guy. It's, that was 30 years ago. Is that not unbelievable? 30 years ago. That was Greg and Andrea's first date, by the way, was to see that movie. Kevin Bacon, when his little boy turned six, he watched the movie for the first time. This is funny. He said, Dad, Dad, when you were doing that movie and you were swinging from the rafters of that building, that was really cool. Dad, how'd you do that? Kevin Bacon said, I had to kind of duck my head. And I said, well, I didn't, didn't do that part. That was a stuntman. He said, Dad, what's a stuntman? He said, well, son, that's someone who dresses like me and do, does things that I can't do. He says, the little boy kind of looked at him and said, oh. <laughs> and then he walked outside. And a few minutes later, he came back in. He said, Dad, you know in the movie when you were spinning around on that gym bar and you landed on your feet? That was so cool, Dad. How did you do that? And he said, well, son, I, I didn't do that. That was what's called a gymnastics double. <laughs> he said, Dad, what's a gymnastics double? He said, son, that's someone who dresses like me, looks like me, and does things that I can't do. And his son finally said, Daddy, what did you do in that movie? <laughs> Kevin Bacon said, I hung my head and said, I got all the glory for it. <laughs> you know, I thought about that this week. Why didn't God send an angel? Why didn't Jesus send a stunt double? Why didn't he make one of you or me do it? Why didn't he make us go to the cross? You know, it's unbelievable to think because of you that God became man, put on flesh and blood, didn't let anybody else play the part. He did it himself. Identified with us, died for us, arose for us and lives today to help us and understands us perfectly. Isn't that wonderful? You know, tonight if you're here and you're not a Christian, the incarnation is about Jesus loving you why don't you come tonight and give your life to Christ if you never have? You want to join our church tonight? If you're not a member, we would love for you to. Come and, come and join us tonight. But Christian, I would just really encourage you this evening to reflect on what God's done for you. Worship Him. At your, when you're standing, worship Him at the altar. But also, before you decide to throw in the towel or wreck your life, Remember, you've got a high priest who can help you. Let's stand as God leads you. Respond to him this evening.